Hi, everyone, and welcome to our very first Autism Atlas podcast. I am Jamie Swalby, and I'd like to thank each of you so much for being here and supporting autism communities around New Mexico. So let's start off today with a little bit about this program. Like I said, this is a new program. It's called Autism Atlas, and it's, it's our new podcast. And it's being brought to you by the autism programs at the UNM Center for Development and Disability. It is funded by the Depart New Mexico um, Department of Health, and it's committed to supporting autism communities all across New Mexico. So that's just a little bit about the program itself. And we are so excited to be here today along with the Four Corners Families with Autism Support Group. Um, this has really been such a big collaborative effort between the two of us and, and we just thank you all so much. And we're here today to discuss our topic, which is self-care, ideas to support your loved one and yourself. Okay. We have such an incredible panel and I'm looking at each of you because we're on Zoom and I can't wait for you all to introduce yourselves. But before we do that, let me quickly introduce myself. My name is Jamie Swalby and I will be the facilitator of our podcast today. I am a senior program therapist in the autism programs at UNM and I'm also the parent of a young man with autism. Now I'm so lucky to be here today with this incredible group of people. And so without further ado, let me introduce you to Lynette Terivio, Mariah Montoya, Tori Burns Everhart, and Lisa Colbert. This group is so wonderful and I don't wanna miss anything at all about the wonderful pieces that they bring today. And so I've asked them each to introduce themselves. And on that note, Lynette, can you please start us off? Good evening, everyone. My name is Lynette Trivial, and I am first and foremost, a mother to a young daughter on the spectrum. I am also a member of the Pueblo of ACMA. My professional role is I am a family specialist at the UNM Center for Development and Disability, the autism programs. It's good to have everyone here this evening. My name is Mariah Montoya. I also work at the CDD in the autism programs. I am the sister of a brother with autism. I, um, my, my role at the CDD is recreational services coordinator, but that really just looks like me being in a lot of places <laughs> um, right now, specifically with Autism Plus and Thrive. And I'm really excited to be a part of this as well. So thank you. And my name is Tori Everhart, and I work at UNM at the CDD with the autism programs. And I've um, worked with the parent home training for um, a number of years and have um, previous to that worked in early intervention for a long time. And I'm happy to join you guys today. My name is Lisa Kahlberg. I am a licensed mental health counselor by training, and I've worked with the Center for Development and Disability for about 11 years. Most recently, my role has changed to being um, an education and outreach manager. About three years ago, I made that change, and I um, work with a lot of these wonderful people who are here today, um, improving services and um, society's attitudes towards people with autism and other disabilities around the state. So thanks for having me. That was so fantastic. And I just want to say I'm, I'm lucky enough to call each one of you colleagues, um, but more so lucky to call you all friends. And I really look forward to our conversation that we're that we're going to have. Um, I in preparation for our podcast today, the Four Corners Families with Autism Support Group reached out to their community 
to gather ideas for the topic. So they reached out and, and you know, gathered their community and, and had a little quick meeting on what things would be really important. And the number one thing that came up was this topic about self-care, self-care for self and self-care for others. And so after that was done, we identified the topic in this collaborative method, they, the group then reached out to the community and said, what questions do you have on this? And the community has been so great in really wanting to know, well, who's going to be on the panel and, and what kind, I want to make sure that my questions really pertain to their, their skill set and their knowledge and that sort of thing. And so we, we gathered several questions and here we are um, ready to go. And I want to I want to touch base with you all and share with you that in order to be respectful for the families and the individuals who presented questions, we have made the question we've decided to make the questions a little bit more general. And that being said, we have removed any specific identifying information um, that may give way to so other people kind of can put pieces together and and we did this in order to protect the family as a whole and that being said if for some reason you feel like your question was not answered please please follow up with email and we will be sure to connect with you one-on-one -on -one because we really want to reach out to these um questions and and be able to answer and we want people to to be heard and feel like they're being heard that being said, those of you that are present today, if you do have any questions that come up during our podcast, please feel free to type them in the chat. And this is our first podcast. And so just as technology, we're working through some technology issues today, and hopefully we don't lose anybody. Um, I know Tori's having a little bit of technological challenges this evening, but just as we figure that out, um, our plan is to take your, your questions that come up in the chat and be able to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. So if you feel comfortable putting your email in the chat with your question, that would be fantastic. If you're not so comfortable putting your email, just put your question and we can um, connect with Maria and Chelsea and Melody from the Four Corners support group to um, figure out how to get in contact with you and make sure that we are answering your question. All right, enough of the business that's going on. Um, let's just go ahead and jump in and begin our conversation with the first question that we had come up. All right, everybody ready? <laughs> I see some shaking heads. So first question is, how do I get assistance when I don't qualify for anything? My child has severe ASD and we have encountered various types of property damage due to his ASD, but we can't afford to get these things fixed. All right, so I'm gonna open it up. Hi there, it's Lynette. So, I have firsthand experience with this as a mom. What I have done in the past and what I have done and am doing currently is through my daughter's insurance, the managed care organization that we are under, we have a care coordinator. Now, I don't know if any of you know what care coordination is. Well, care coordination basically is, is a coordinator will come on board, they'll do an assessment of your child's needs. Based on the score of the assessment, a care coordinator will be assigned to your, to your child. So what that care coordinator will do, will come in and do um, just a whole overview of what things you may be needing. And one of those things is environmental modifications. With the environmental modifications, a family is allocated $5,000 every five years. That will go towards any kind of modifications that you need in your home. If it's flooring, if flooring is com coming up, they can cover that. If it is to simply install an ADA toilet or grab bars in your restroom, 
that's something that that money can go to be used for. So that is one idea. Another idea that I do have is my daughter loves to be outside. So kind of channeling all of her energy and having her go outside and run around. With that though comes the safety issue. Another program that we have taken part in is the assistive technology program. And that is through the state of New Mexico. If your child is currently on the DD waiver waiting list, or if your child has an IEP, they qualify for this service. What I've used the service for is to be able to install fencing in our backyard as so as to make sure that, you know, my daughter's not wandering off when she's out there and to make sure that nothing is coming in while she's out there, you know, neighborhood animals, things like that, that we don't, we don't necessarily need to expose her to right now, <laughs> but it is something um, that it's very simple to make the request. We do have those forms at the CDD. So if you are wanting those forms, we can get that to you. Um, and it's, it's very simple. Even your speech PT OT can help you fill out that paperwork. And we can walk you through the process of what, what that looks like from start to finish. That was awesome, Lynette. That's such a big question. It's such, it's such, a, such a heavy, heavy thing for so many families. Um, and I think, I think you just set, set families up for, for that place to start. Where do we start? And then through that, hopefully families can, you know, be able to find the pieces that are working or will work for them. Um, and, and a lot of what we know in, in the world of autism is many things are through word of mouth, which is one of the reasons we're here today to share these types of types of information. So um, on that note, let's go to question number two. And that question comes up and it is, how do you change your mind frame when you're exhausted from the week? My child has ASD and I have to keep him in line of sight. I feel like I do a lot of chasing around to keep him safe. Um, this is Tori and I just wanted to provide maybe a few tips on that question. Um, I think the most important thing to do when you are feeling um, overwhelmed or exhausted is just to take a moment in the moment and breathe. Um, take a moment, ground yourself, find where you are, and, and sit in that moment for a while. Um, I think after that, you can begin um, breaking things down. Um, into smaller chunks or segments, and that's that are just a little bit easier to look at. So, um, just taking that time, finding a moment, um, and and hopefully you you can do that. Um, but often it's that moment of grounding yourself, um, and then I think it's really helpful to break things down. Um, and to organize and prioritize. Um, and within that, I think, uh, surely we're gonna talk about when you prioritize um, some self-care moments for yourself. Um, I, I will pass to Mariah, who also probably has some great insight. Thanks. Um, one of the things I would suggest as well is to assess your own supports in that in your space right now. So you're you're looking for a way to readjust that mind space that you're in right now, which is you know exhaustion and also hypervigilance, which can take a pretty big toll on your anxiety over time. Um, so I would suggest looking at where your supports are, who's supporting you right now, and assess that. You know, do you have individuals that you feel comfortable helping, that, helping you? And if not, you know, thinking about, okay, um, 
what's what's motivating for you what gets you through that week what's what are you passionate about or excited about doing do you enjoy certain activities that really refresh you and put you in a better place and is accessing that difficult because if it is maybe thinking about bringing in uh, respite care if that's something that is available to you and seeing if it is because there are a lot of different companies they have different sorts of things that they're looking at but it is something that is um, a possibility and it would bring someone who is you know trained and um, you could set up a schedule that works for you I, I used to be a respite care provider myself so I'm really familiar with uh, that job and all that it entails and one of the most rewarding things about being a respite care provider was seeing uh, a mom that I had worked with come home after just going grocery shopping, which she hadn't done herself alone in years. She came home and she, you know, put those grocery bags on the ground and realized that just, just that, just that one little space was invigorating for her again. So being able to kind of, I, I would, I would bring that down to find your support system and assess what that looks like. And if you need to bring in more, think just seeing if that is something that is possible, a possibility for you, because it, it might help. Mariah, I love that. And it, it really brings up something for me where um, at one point in my journey with autism, someone asked me, well, who do you have in your support circle? And my answer was no one. I have no one and I'm just feeling so alone. And that person just quietly sat there for a moment and then asked me again, Jamie, who do you have in your support circle? And so it really had me reflect again. And there were a couple people that I wasn't able to recognize because of what I was feeling internally. And so that was, that was something that I will always remember. And so Mariah, thank you for bringing that up but we do have people in our circle who are those people um, that that can support us okay so our next question that has come up is how do you support a sibling that is the asd child's voice when you're not around all righty this is mariah again um I'm, this question, when I read it, I <laughs> immediately related to because um, when I was growing up, I, I have a younger brother with autism. And when we were both little, he also had uh, some hearing difficulties. So the combination of autism and hearing difficulties meant that him and I were extremely close to the point where I did feel like I was in this translator role for him. Um, he was mostly nonverbal for a very long time. It was um, definitely beyond the milestones that you would expect. And for some reason, you know, just the, the age, the ages we were at and the things that we were both um, into at the same time, we, we just, we bonded very closely and I always knew what he wanted, even if it wasn't necessarily something that was vocalized. It was, you know, just being around him, being able to kind of feel that and knowing, oh, you know, he's hungry or he wants to go outside. We want to go play uh, anything that was of that nature. And for the most part, when I was younger, I did not necessarily recognize the impact that that was making on myself until we went to school and when we went to school things started to come up that I was I was recognizing wow this is this is hard um and there were a few times uh just to kind of set this answer up I guess uh, where we were in, we we're in class. I was, um, I'm two years older than him. So I was in a different class and I was getting removed from my class to go help with a situation that was help happening in his own classroom. And the first few times that happened, it was okay. It, I, when you're little, you kind of feel a little special when someone calls you out of class, you're like, oh, I'm getting called out of class. That's exciting. 
Um, and then it kept happening. And I was recognizing that over time, especially as I got older, I, I was really thinking about this and recognizing that um, it was very, very distracting. And uh, when I got older later on, it turns out that I was uh, diagnosed with ADHD. So once I'm removed from an activity or a situation, it is very, very hard for me to refocus and get back into what I was doing, especially when I was younger. So all of that is really just to frame this idea of boundary setting um, being one of the biggest tools that you're going to have in your advocate tool bag. It's uh, hard to do. And it's, it's definitely not one of those things that I can just say like, boom, there you go. Go, go set a boundary and do that. But I will caution you, especially with younger individuals, younger siblings, they're not necessarily going to have the easiest time telling you that something is becoming overwhelming or too much for them. It took me about 19 years to tell my parents, you know, a lot of those things that happened when I was younger were really hard. And um, I could have used some more of those boundaries, especially with um, people coming into the family situation, um, which also actually entails, you know, other family members, but in our immediate family, just being able to, to tell someone, okay, you know, you guys are, I, I'm not sure what situation this question necessarily is pertaining to, but I'm, I'm gonna use the classroom situation, for instance, um, like mine. So sending your kids off to school and kind of noting, you know, if, if that sibling comes home and tells you like, yeah, I got removed from class today because, um, my, my younger brother was, uh, unable to tell the teacher that he was getting really hungry. And so he went into his lunchbox and started eating in the middle of class and she got mad at him and something happened, you know, situation occurred, um, <laughs> which comes directly out of my experience. So being able to kind of go in and be that child's person for that moment because you know the way schools are structured the way things are it's just it's very hard for that little person to be able to say like it's hard for me to come back to class and refocus so kind of telling the teacher like okay if something is happening you know let's set up a plan for that instead let's work through what that situation is. Okay, so you know, you're know you being removed because you need to go help because so-and-so keeps going into their snack box during the day. Okay, let's set up a plan to do that instead of pulling my kiddo out because they're going to be um, needing to have their own time in class to learn their own things and uh, make sure that their own goals are being set. And that's such a huge part of the sibling experience, I think there's this incredible need to like help and be there and be present for your sibling, which will persist <laughs> throughout your time spent on, on earth, um, which is such a gift, but it comes with the challenges of, okay, you know, I'm, a, I'm my own person kind of going back into that self-care piece that we're talking about here and making sure that we're supporting that SIB to be, to develop, to grow and to be their own person as well. And really talking to the other adults in the person's life, setting those boundaries and making those plans, I think is really important. Um, I see that Tori has something to add too. So I'm gonna go ahead and hand it off to Tori. Thanks Mariah, it's Tori. I really just wanted to echo what you said about having a plan for the sibling. Um, and it's sort of like, you know, we ask parents to schedule your self-care moments and your time. Um, having a plan and scheduling time for the sibling. Um, so I think that just to keep in mind, um, have a plan um, of um, some activities that the sibling um, might like to do um, with you as a parent 
or activities that they might want to be involved in um, that um, are outside maybe of the family life or are their own um, independent um, activities separate from their siblings. All of these things, I think, my goodness, are, are just so important. And, and Mariah, thank you for sharing those, those stories about your personal experience. And I, I think of my, my two children that do not have autism, but were siblings, obviously, and, and some of the things they've shared with me now that they're adults. And I think a couple of things just to add on to this um, discussion is giving a sibling permission to say, um, I can't help. I, I don't want to help right now. And honoring that, honoring that child's voice, because sometimes they, we need them to help. All siblings <laughs> help out here and there and, and do things. And sometimes we just need them to help. But sometimes we ask them to help and maybe they don't need to help. And so giving them a voice, allowing them to say uh, that piece of, I don't, I don't feel like helping. I can't help. I'm busy right now. I'm busy. I, I'm not able to do this. And just honoring that voice um, is some feedback that I've received from, from my adult children that I really have taken in and thought about as well. Um, moving, moving to the next question. And that one is, what is a good response to, he doesn't talk, is he deaf? When he signs thank you, the community response is always, how do you say you're welcome? I always find myself torn between educating and annoyed. So Jamie, this is Lisa, and I'll jump in here with some thoughts. Um, that I had about this question and, and some of the thoughts I had are echoing exactly what Jamie and Mariah just said <laughs> with regard to a different question. Um, but I first want to acknowledge it's 100% understandable and okay to be annoyed and to be frustrated with those questions and to feel like, oh my gosh, I cannot, I cannot teach you this right now. And I think it's okay to say that. You know, um, like just what Jamie said, I'm sorry, I can't teach you that right now. I appreciate your interest. However, it makes sense to you. It's perfectly fine to do that. Um, and that just just goes back to what Mariah, Mariah said so beautifully about um, it's okay to have boundaries and it's okay to just know your limits of what you're able to do and what you have the emotional bandwidth to do in that moment. Um, but as I was thinking about this question earlier, one of the things that came to mind that I know other families have done, and, and you know, this is a toss up, it could just be creating a lot more work for you, but um, some other families I've heard have created, you know, autism awareness cards or little business cards that talk about autism awareness and simple signs and, um, what the sign is for your welcome and maybe some websites to some, you know, rationale for using simple signs and um, how some kids might not be verbal yet. Whatever is important to you or whatever comes up frequently, just load up that card with it and have a few of those printed out or written out and you can easily just reach for those and say, I, I don't have the time to explain it right now, but if you're interested, here's some resources or whatever. Um, but again, that's another, another thing for your to-do list. <laughs> so it might defeat the purpose. Um, but I just, I just think you're not alone too in those feelings of feeling such frustration when people are constantly asking you to educate them on your kid and on your experience. And it's okay to, to feel some days like you can do it and some days like you can't. Wow, that's so powerful, Lisa. And I think um, sometimes as a parent, and, and I'm not sure if others have felt that, but just having permission, having someone say, it's okay to say, I'm just really annoyed right now. Having, having that 
can be so powerful because we sort of set these expectations for ourselves, right? And and how things should look and how things should be. And and so thank you, Lisa, for for sharing that and giving that idea of <laughs> educating and maybe handing a card is so much easier than actually giving of yourself verbally at that moment. So so much easier. Um, and. And that sort of leads us to the next question. <laughs> and I think of this and I giggle a little bit because I kind of think about myself in, in different situations where I um, get a little worked up. And the question is, what are some in the moment, can't look or run away things you can do to support your own calming down? Hi, Tammy. It's Lisa again. I um, I actually had some ideas for this, but they were stolen directly from Mariah and some of the things that I've watched Mariah do and some of the programs that we work together in. And she's so amazing. So Mariah, please jump in. But um, she's so amazing in talking about simple, accessible tips for mindfulness and breathing. And again, kind of going back to what Tori said earlier too, just taking a breath. Um, one of the tools that I've found is so helpful and resonates so much for the people we work with. And for me, when Mariah talks about it is the five, four, three, two, one meditation. And it can just, you know, bring you back to exactly where you are in your environment. And Mariah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe it's um, looking for five, identifying five things you can see, and then four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. And I think something like that is so powerful and so simple in those moments when you are just in the moment crazy, can't look away, can't run away, can't get away. You know, it's like, what do I have? In addition to all of the other things that all of these wonderful people have said, but um, it's such an incredibly powerful tool, that particular meditation for getting out of your head with things um, and into your body and slowing down and feeling that moment and then being able to plan and proceed with what's the next best step, what's the next most logical step that I can take. And I think Mariah indicated she had something to add. So I'm going to hand it over to her too. So I have a document that I have written up, which encompasses all of those little mini meditations that are very, very in the moment specific, which I can send to uh, you, Jamie, and perhaps you could disperse it to um, everyone else. Um, and one of the things that I really want to know, especially when we're talking about in the moment meditations, is you want to choose something that is directly impacting your physical body in that moment. So there are a bunch of different things that you can do um, to access that. And it's, it's such a brilliant question because I'm so, I love questions where I'm like, there is a plethora of things that we can like supply you with here. Um, some of the ones that I'm going to note really quickly um, are what we call tremors. And it's something that people who are actors or singers or anyone who is on stage, they know these techniques because one of the things that they that tremoring does is it immediately brings down your cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone. And it sets you in a better headspace for going out and facing something. So it's something like, you know, if you're going to go into an IEP meeting and you're already up to here and you're like both terrified and frustrated and you know what's coming, it's maybe something you want to think about doing. Um, and it's, it's just, it looks a little similar to yoga, maybe not nearly as big or, you know, um, out there stretch wise but what it does is there's certain poses one of them you're kind of standing there like a cactus with your um, hands outsplayed by your ears um, and what it does is it's forcing your body into uh, holding an odd position 
And when you do that, when you physically do that, your brain cannot, <laughs> maybe she found studies, it cannot focus on the stressor anymore. It is only focused on what is happening physically in your body. And you're tensing these muscles in such a way that they start to shake. And that is something that prey animals actually do in the wild when uh, they've just been chased by something and they've gotten away, they shake a little bit. And what it does is it, it immediately brings down the cortisol levels. It changes how you're feeling uh, in your body and it decreases your stress significantly and rapidly. So it's really, really odd that way, but it's such a cool technique. It's something that I've used all the time. Um, so that's one that I'm just gonna throw out there. It's on the sheet of paper. So I will once again, send those things out. But really when we're thinking about, you know, oh my gosh, the moment is happening. I'm right in the middle of it. What can I do? Um, think about those um, mindfulness or meditation techniques that are impacting your physicality because those are gonna be what help you rebalance quickly and uh, help you kind of tackle the situation. I think I saw that Lynette had something too. So I'm gonna go ahead and pass it off to her. Great suggestions, Lisa and Mariah. However, <laughs> sometimes as us parents, the mindfulness just, we try it, it's not working. My suggestion is you have a support group that you all are currently in. You have parents there who just get it. We don't need to explain anything. It's just a phone call away and you know, simply the words IEP. Okay, girl, been there, done that. I know what you're going through just them validating your feelings, knowing what you're feeling in that moment. Lean on those resources, you know, with all of the parents, the grandparents, all of the people that are in your support group. And I'm pretty sure they'd be more than willing to, you know, just drop what they're doing for the minute that you need to calm down to just hear that comforting voice on the phone, you know, they'll be able to be there for you. I know I've done that plenty of times, even if it was not an ASD parent, it was a parent that had a child with some other developmental disability. I just needed someone to hear me, to let me release what I what was going through my mind and just to let me get it out and vet and I was good to go. So another, another suggestion. Wow, I'm just blown away by that conversation. Um, thank you, Lynette, for, for bringing in that piece as well. And, and um, all of you for such great ideas. And I think sometimes we're in a moment where maybe we can take, you know, two minutes, one minute to sort of center ourselves. And sometimes it's who's in that group, who's in that group. Thank you, thank you so much. I know that that one um, in my work that I do really has come up a lot. Um, how, do, how do I take care of that? Because if you can fill your bucket, then you have more to give, right? So um, our next question come, brings us back to siblings. And the question is, what are some ways we can support our ASD child and neurotypical siblings to interact positively? Okay, so this is Mariah again. Um, you always wanna think about shared interests and starting there because kids are, I mean, I'm, I'm starting at kids, but kids grow up, they become teens, they become adults, but you're, you're wanting to start off with things that possibly overlap. Because when we were growing up, both of my brothers and I's um, different, sort, different diagnoses had a very strong overlap of hyperfixation, which both of us are still really in. <laughs> I don't think either of us are ever going to really like drop that aspect of ourselves. It's just who we are. Um, 
and we would we would both go through these phases and I, I kind of see our lives as timelines um, with different sorts of chunks. Oh yeah, that's when you were in to Ed, Ed and Eddie super hard. And I was really, really, really into, I don't know. Um, oh my gosh, I went through the sky dancers phase. I don't I think everyone even re remembers what those are, but it was a thing. So thank you, Jamie. <laughs> um, so how do you how do you find that mutual territory? Um, because not only with you know kids with ASD or siblings, but all kids are going to have these things that they're into. And a lot of the times they're separate, which is great. That's valid, wonderful, it's who they are. But it's finding those places in those diagrams where, where you're seeing the overlap and you're seeing those things. Both my brother and I were really into outdoor explorations of some sort. And I think my parents also struggled with this because my brother, his hyperfixations were a bit louder than mine. So I might've been really, really into something just as passionately as he was, but he was going to be the one who told you all of the things about that thing. And he was super disinterested if we were going to do something that did not have to do with that thing. So one of the brilliant things that my parents came up with was, you know, trying to find these weird in-between zones where we met. And like I said, that, that place for my brother and I was this outdoor exploration kind of space. And so when my brother was really into trains, really into trains, I mean, that one actually stayed with him throughout life and he works for Amtrak now, haha. <laughs> so uh, what my dad would do is we would go train spotting. He would take us all the way into Bernalillo or you know different places, Las Lunas. We would go and we would um, drive out there and we would watch the trains pass. And my brother loved that, but I mean, what was in it for me? Like, why, why would I want to do that? And my dad would let me within reason, you know, kind of explore. And he would tell me like, go find like five really cool rocks that you just adore and bring them back. And having that little like quest was amazing. And suddenly, you know, we're outdoors, Evan's getting his needs met, I'm getting my needs met. And it was a really cool, like in-between zone. And it helped the two of us bond, even though we were into totally different things at that time. Um, so one, one of the ways that you can do that is to just try to find those kind of odd, but creative little overlap zones. Um, and also, I want to kind of note on what Jamie was mentioning there about keeping that communication door open and allowing kids or teens or adults to not have to interact all the time. Um, because people, people in general, they, they ebb and flow. They come together and they separate a little because they're lives are developing and certain things are happening. You've entered a new friend group and you're out all the time doing those things. And now there's a distance, but, you know, analyzing, is that a real distance? Is that a real disconnect? Or is it just they're out and kind of letting, letting that happen, letting, keeping your, keeping that door open all the time for possible communication, you know, checking in, but also thinking about, you know, letting letting them also grow up and develop into their own people as well yeah i love that mariah apologize i was muted there for a moment um i love that mariah and and i think in the in back in to working with families and and in different capacities over the years and and just adding on to what you said so beautifully mariah um, allowing kids to have some toys that they don't have to share. So what are those favorite things that they're not shareables? Those are just mine and I keep them and I don't have to share them. And then learning the difference between those toys that you can keep for yourself and, and maybe, you know, those boundaries, we've talked a lot about boundaries today, those boundaries around the toys you don't have to share, but then also helping your child understand that other toys we do share. And within sharing, um, you can 
help your child learn those skills, those play skills, those interacting skills. And, you know, depending upon what level your child is at, like Mariah said, finding that overlap within that set of toys or those sets of um, shared interests or, or whatnot. Because how a one child plays with something is going to be very different than how another child plays with it, right? And so finding those little overlaps. But, but I also just definitely encourage families to um, say it's okay to not have to share everything. We all, all of us as humans, there's things that we just don't want to share. And that's okay. It's okay to do. And Tori? Um, yeah, this is Tori again, and I wanted, I just wanted to say, give yourself permission to start small. So when you think about big things, like my, my kids fought all day, they just can't get along. Break it down into small moments throughout the day, and you might start with three minutes or five minutes in some activity that maybe has a little bit more structure around around it within their interests and 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 just give yourself okay we did great for three minutes we had a great interaction um, next time we might try for five minutes but start small break it down um, i think that's often helpful rather than looking at big chunks of time especially as we're all winding down summer and sending our kids back to school And I like what you're saying, Tori. And I and I think when you keep it small like that, you you keep it to where it will end on a positive note. I think that's another big piece. If it if the shared interaction, if that um, engagement, that positive engagement ends positively, then the likelihood of coming back to that you just bumped it up a lot. But if it ends in a way that wasn't happy, then it's like. Maybe they're thinking that your child's thinking, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> that was horrible. And so thinking about how you can keep that time small and then ending on that positive note um, for future successes as well. Okay, we have one more question. And this one I, I just have felt in working with um, the Four Corner Support Group and, and Maria and Melody and Chelsea throughout this, the one thing that has kept coming up is that question, and this is the number, the last question we have, is what types or agencies provide respite? Hi everyone, it's Lynette. Um, so we do have a list of agencies in your area that provide respite and we will get those out to you all. Um, but types of respite. So I have taken part in the traditional um, respite where you're allocated 200 hours each fiscal year um, to be able to take advantage of respite. With my respite, I, I was given the choice to choose my provider with the the more severity of my daughter's communication or the lack of communication it was important to me that my respite provider knew um her her personality her wants her needs without her actually having to speak any of them. And so I was able to choose my mother to be my respite provider. So that is something um, that you all can, are able to do as well. Um, so keep that in mind. The other thing that I do wanted to point out, and it goes back again to your managed care organization and your care coordination. Your care coordinator, when they do the assessment, will be able to tell you if you qualify for home health care hours. Home health care hours are basically respite. Um, 
they are allocated though weekly. So instead of you're only given 200 hours per fiscal year, you're going to be getting so many hours per week. Again, with that one, I was able to, again, because of the severity of my daughter's limited communication, I was able to choose my home healthcare provider. And again, that was my mother. So she was the one when we completely exhausted our 200 hours, we were able to tap into the home healthcare hours um, and be able to do that. And I just think that it's an important tool for parents. I know we wear, we proudly wear the mom hat, the autism mom, the autism dad, Cameron's mom, but sometimes I need it to tell myself, okay, I'm Lynette. I'm Lynette. I need it. I need to refill my tank and I need this. Um, I'm not just a mom. I'm, you know, I'm so many other things. I'm, I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I love to read books. If I just need to take a drive down the road and listen to some music just to decompress and, you know, get away for just a little bit, even if it's just for half an hour, you know, we, we as parents, we need to do that. We, it's, it's just, we need to take care of ourselves before we can take care of anyone else. And so uh, don't feel guilty about doing it. Don't feel guilty about utilizing that resource. Um, it's there. It's, um, you know, it's available to everyone. So um, that would be my suggestions. Again, we do have the list. Um, I'm not sure, Jamie, how we're going to be getting that list to them. I'm pretty sure through email, but we did look up respite providers in your area. So again, MCOs, care coordination, don't forget to tap into that. Lynette, that was such a beautiful way um, to, to wrap us up, to bring us back together, back to that center of we, we are we are our own individuals as well. Thank you, thank you for that. Um, yes, Lynette, we will be getting that respite information out. We will we will share that um, with Melody and Chelsea and Maria. Um, and then also we can, um, <laughs> Melody saying yes, and, and we will make sure we get that. Um, I want to thank our entire brilliant, brilliant panel for joining us today for our very first Autism Atlas. Thank you all so much for being here. And I wanna give a giant thank you also to the Four Corners Families with Autism Support Group for being so incredible to work with. Um, we look forward to many more collaborative opportunities with you all. Um, we just feel so connected with you. Uh, we also wanna thank you all that have joined us um, today, all that have offered ideas, all that have offered questions, um, those of you that have listened and participated in whatever way felt supportive to you. So thank you all. And if you have any further questions or are seeking autism related resources and supports, please contact the Autism Family Provider Resource Team. And that phone number is 505-272-1852. And you can also visit the Center for Development and Disabilities Facebook page. If you like the page and follow us, this is where we post links for accessing our webcasts and trainings. This particular webcast is going to be posted on our autism portal um, at the CDD and, and that information will be shared with the Four Corner Support Group to get to be able to go out to all of you as well. And again, thank you all for being here. We at Autism Atlas are sending you wishes for peace, happiness, and calm on your journey towards self-care. And take care, everybody.